Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we present the concluding lesson in our series, I Pity the Fool. In today's study on living the Christian life and man's foolishness, lead pastor David Fossil has us look at a point where the Bible exclaims, You fool! Join us as Pastor Dave shows us what is being said has to do with spiritual discernment rather than knowledge, and how we take into account what's in the Bible as we apply it to our lives. We are wrapping up our series, Pity the Fool. And uh, we're going to start actually with, a, with an experiment, a social experiment. And what I'm going to need you to do in a couple seconds, I'm going to have to, I want you to look to, to the person on either side of you. You're probably going to have to find someone behind you as well. At least three people. And what I need you to do is look them in the eye. And I need you to say to them, you fool. Okay? But I need you to put a little oomph into it. I need you to put a little attitude into it, at least three people. You got about 10 seconds. Go. Come on. Let's do it. Okay. Let's, let's bring it back, people. Let's bring it back. You know, this, if you are new to Bay Hills, I'd like to welcome you at this point. Thank you for being here. Let me also say, as I observed what was going on, some of you clearly have issues with the person sitting next to you. Because you got a little more joy out of that than I was expecting you to get. Uh, so I do have counseling slots available this week if you'd like to meet with me. Uh, I want you to imagine something. Instead of the person next to you looking you in the eye and saying, you fool, I want you to imagine that God Almighty, creator of heavens and earth, looked you in the eye and said, you fool. Well, wait a minute. I I thought God was loving, caring, compassionate, kind, and merciful, and He is. Which is why it caught me off guard and and very interesting to me when you note both in Old Testament and New Testament that there are times when God looks at His people. Not the people that are in here this morning. No, no, no. His people, He looks them straight in the eye and He says, You fool! Now, when the Bible talks of us as fools... It's, it's not talking about, it's not talking about mental intelligence. It's, instead it's talking about spiritual discernment. The fool, according to the Bible, is the individual who doesn't include God in their plans. The fool, according to the Bible, is the person who takes way too lightly what is in this book. Right? And doesn't really take into account how God wants us to live. I, 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 I know what the Bible says about sex before marriage, but you know, I know that I'm not supposed to cheat on a, on a test or plagiarize for a paper, but you know what? I know that I'm not supposed to steal, right? I'm not supposed to steal my taxes. I'm not supposed to take 20 bucks out of my, my, my mom's purse, but you know what? I know I'm not supposed to drop F-bombs and cuss like a sailor, but you know what? The Bible would define that as a living a life of foolishness. This series, we've been trying to just pick out a couple of those passages. Week one was pity the fool who cannot control their temper. The book of Proverbs says that you are a fool and I am a fool if I give full vent to my temper. It legitimizes that anger is okay at times, but giving full vent to it and just kind of go all over everyone is foolish to do. Week two, last week, Gary talked about pity the fool who is unwilling to control their words. The, the, our words can be incredibly powerful, incredibly influential, 
and incredibly hurtful and damaging. And if you don't have the ability to exercise self-control and learn how to control your words and bite your tongue, the Bible would define us as fools. Today, this week, if you grab your study guide real quick, you'll notice we're going to wrap it up, this very short series, Pity the Fool Who Loves Money Too Much. Who Loves Money Too Much. If you have a Bible from the back, I'm going to be on page 373, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. 373, Luke chapter 12. And when you get there, you're going to notice that the title of, of, of the story is the parable of the, or the story of the rich fool. Okay. Now, it takes a little while before Jesus actually gets into the story. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, here's what we read. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, one of the things you have to note is that this, this situation, story, whatever's going on here, begins actually in verse 4. And in verse 4, Jesus literally is preaching. He's preaching a sermon, okay? And he's talking about fear. And he's talking about worry. And he's saying, don't fear and worry. Stand up for what is right and stand up for what is true. I mean, and he's really getting into it. And he's in a rhythm. And his PowerPoints are going up. And people are filling out the blanks in their sermon guides. Everything's going well. And we don't know what happens, but there's some some sort of pause between verse 12 and verse 13. We aren't told what it is. Maybe it's just a really hot, dusty day and Jesus reaches down and takes some water, right? And, and that's the pause, you know. Maybe the ushers are setting up a, another set of rows because some people are coming in late. Maybe someone's cell phone goes off, right? And Jesus has to explain that the universal biblical rule is if your cell phone goes off during the sermon, it's an extra 20 bucks in the offering. That's universal rule. Everybody knows this, right? Okay, I don't know what the pause is. But in the middle there, in that pause, as Jesus is preaching, all of a sudden, someone has a question for Jesus. A question that has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus was speaking about. Now, I have to tell you, when I realized what was going on here, it was strangely encouraging and refreshing to realize that not even Jesus could keep everyone's attention during a sermon. Not even Jesus could do that. So I figured maybe I shouldn't be so bad. I feel so bad and be so hard on myself. It's amazing some of the things you see from up here. I got to tell you, every single Sunday there's someone dozing, you know. And that's fine. I prefer you to come here and sleep than stay home and sleep. So just, you know, doze away, you know. Um, I see people tweeting or Facebook updating. I don't know what they're doing or playing an app on their phone, you know. I kid you not, a couple weeks ago, there's a couple in this section right over here. Third service. It's amazing what happens in my mind because by third service, I kind of can go on autopilot and I can go through my notes, but my mind's thinking of something else. So I'm going off and this couple over here, they are not listening to the sermon. They do not have their Bibles out. They are not filling out their notes. They don't have their eyes on the screen. They're sitting next to each other flirting the entire sermon. I mean, she's got her hand in his hair. She's going like this. At some point in time, she goes like this. The whole time, you know, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, get a room. But then I'm thinking, maybe they're not married, so I probably shouldn't be thinking that, you know. And uh, I just, as this is going on the entire 25 minutes, all I could think about was, thank goodness the lighting guys didn't have it dark like this, because they'd start making out or something, you know. 
That's your chance right there. Married. Oh, gone. Sorry. A couple. Did you guys hear the service when um, someone in first service, they'd already gone to church. Okay. They realized that they had to sign a birthday card for someone. They hadn't signed it. So before going to work, they decided, I'm going to go back into church during second service, find the person who's got the birthday card, right, and sign it. The problem is the person who had the birthday card was sitting right there, right there. Now, they thought nothing of walking down, all the way down, sitting right next to them. I need to sign the birthday card. (laughs) An additional problem was that the birthday card was one of those musical cards. (laughs) Happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. Happy, happy birthday so we can party too. Hey. And they just signed it. I don't want to say who it was, Josh Bradshaw, but he actually did that. (laughs) Got up and left, kind of waved to people he was going. It's amazing what I see up here. You guys are doing your thing like I don't see it, right? All that to say... That this happens to Jesus. He's preaching a sermon, and out of nowhere, one dude goes, uh, <clears throat> I got a problem. You know, my brother and I were having this issue. Can you tell him to d- divvy up the inheritance with me? Mom and dad are gone. You know, he's not sharing. Now, on a serious note, isn't it amazing that for 2,000 years, um, siblings are still arguing and getting into major conflict of what to do with the flat screen TV or who gets the house in Santa Cruz. Some of you have experienced this, and it literally divvies up a family. Now, I, I don't know what to say to brother and sister. Let me say something to mom and dad just for a moment. You have a responsibility. If you're getting anywhere near to the point of making a will or thinking about what's going to happen, who gets what when you're gone... You have a responsibility to do everything you can to make sure your kids don't bite each other's heads off when that happens. Your responsibility. I remember my parents tried to do this a while back. I have one sister. Her name is Becky. I love her. She's a missionary. Her and her family in Ireland. And uh, we were together as a, as a family. Very unusual because she's in Ireland. My parents are in Spain and we're in San Francisco. So it's very unlikely we get together. So we got together for a family vacation and my dad announced, we are going to have a fam- all family meeting tomorrow afternoon and we're going to talk about inheritance stuff. I was like, that's kind of a strange thing to do during a family vacation. But, you know, he's footing the bill, so whatever. So he, um, we have this meeting, right? And he goes through what's going to happen and who's going to do this and, you know, the executor and so on and so forth. And everything's written in the envelope and so on. And then he says, does anyone have any, any questions? Does any, anyone have anything they would like to say? I was ready. I said, uh, can I read some scripture, please? And my sister and other family looks at me and I could see on their face, oh, look at how mature and godly David has become. He wants to read Scripture. Now, if you are a firstborn, this next verse I'm going to show you, you want to write this down. This is like Scripture memory kind of stuff, okay? This is the verse I read at the family meeting. Let's put it up there. When a man wills his property to his children. Now, Dad, that would be you. Becky and myself are your children. He must acknowledge the firstborn. To be clear, that would be me, okay? 
by giving him a double share of all he has. I just want us to be biblical, mom and dad, as long as you guys are biblical. I'm fine with that. And everything went from, man, David is godly, to he's an idiot. So in any, of course, this is Old Testament, doesn't really count. But I thought, let me slip it in there. Maybe we get lucky. Um, Okay, let's keep going. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, uh, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Jesus is like, I am not going to go down this path. I am not a lawyer. I don't have my calculator. I'm going to stay on task. My goal is to help you connect to God. I'm not going to get into this. But it's very interesting how things turn in verse 15. Then he said to, now notice, then he said to them. It starts out with the brother or or the guy and his brother. We have an issue. And it's almost as if Jesus realizes, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Before I go too far, I'm not going to talk to the two brothers. I have a feeling that all of them could hear what I'm going to say. And he basically relaunches into teaching, but now talks to the entire crowd, to every single one of us. And he makes this statement and gives this thesis. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard again against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus tries to outline for everyone listening is very simply, you know what? You do not have a financial issue. You have a moral issue. Your problem is not a wallet problem. Your problem is a heart problem. The issue is greed and materialism. It's not what did mom and dad leave to who and who gets what. That's the issue. Now, I got to tell you, I, I'm pretty proud because every once in a while I'll hear us, you know, whether it's in a small group meeting or whatever, pretty openly admit what we're struggling with, what our weaknesses are, what our sins are. You know, I hear people go, you know, I struggle with anger. That's my issue. I don't have a, you know, um, you know I, I hear people go, you know, I gossip sometimes or, you know, I'm, I, I don't control my tongue the way I should. Every once in a while I say words I, I shouldn't. We're, I, I like it. I think it's healthy that you're open and honest about what you struggle with. But I got to tell you, I don't ever hear Christians going, you know what I struggle with? I'm just, a, I'm just greedy. I'm a, I, I greedy, I, I want as much stuff as I can get. I'm materialistic to the bone. I don't ever hear any one of us say that. You know why? Because it's one of those sins we much prefer to think someone else has a problem with it, not me. Because we always can justify why we have what we have and why we have the stuff that we have and why we live the way we do. We tend to justify it, right? This is someone else's problem. Before we get into the actual story, let me try and help you figure out and more or less see, possibly, do you and I struggle with greed and materialism? Possible characteristics, let's put it up on the screen. If the volume of possessions, your volume of possessions exceeds usability, you might struggle with greed and materialism. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If you own more cars than you have licensed drivers in the family you have a higher volume than you have even ability to use. If you have more clothes in your closet than you can possibly wear in three months and go through all of them, you have more volume than you have the ability to use. If you have more golf clubs than you can actually fit in your bag when you golf, you have a greater volume than you have usability. We don't think about this because we're Americans. We just think it's normal to have 20 pairs of shoes. No, it really isn't. It really isn't. 
Upwards of 20% of the world don't have one pair of shoes. Not one. Let me go to the next one. If you are driven to own the newest, latest model, you may struggle with greed and materialism. This happens a lot with technology. Have you noticed this? My phone works perfectly fine. But I got to get me that new iPhone 5. I got to have it. Have, have you noticed how it works with laptops? You can go out right now and get the newest, greatest, fastest laptop with the biggest screen possible. Okay? You can get that. What happens at 12 to 18 months from now? I, I can't use that. It's so stinking slow. No, not really. We just have, we're driven to get the newest, greatest model, the fastest, best thing. If you carry credit card debt from month to month, you might very possibly struggle with greed and materialism. If, you, if shopping is a primary form of entertainment for you, you might struggle with greed and materialism. Now, let me just say this. It can be very fun to shop. When Sandy and I go away to Monterey or Carmel, it's fun to window shop. And just look at stuff. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But if you can't go shopping, have fun, without actually buying something, check. Okay? If your self-esteem comes from the possessions you have, if your security comes from your bank account, you might struggle with greed and materialism. If your goals revolve around new purchases instead of character development, you might struggle with greed and materialism. I'm just going to ask you real simply, what do you daydream about? What do you daydream about? Because that'll tell you what's important to you in life and what, what you really want in life. You see, Jesus is not saying here that, that it's wrong to be rich. He's not saying it's wrong to want a better paying job. He's not saying it's wrong to have nice things. He's saying you better watch it because life does not depend on how much stuff you have. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. Here's what some of us are thinking. Well, I, I can't possibly start, struggle with this because I don't have that much stuff. Today is about so-and-so, two, two rows down. I hope they're listening. Well, let's talk about how much stuff we have. Let me give you a couple stats. Let's put this first one up there. If you have at least five days worth of food in your refrigerator, in other words, you can eat for five days without going shopping. If you have at least five days worth of food in your refrigerator and at least two weeks of clothes in your closet, you are richer than 75% of the world. My guess is that every single one of us qualifies with that. Let me put the next statistic up there. If you have one week worth of money, in other words, to survive, to live, if you have one week worth of money in your bank or in your wallet, you are among the top 8% of world's wealthy. This next stat I love. Check this next stat out. A pastor in the United States of America is in the top 5% highest paid pastors in the world. Give me a high five. That feels good. Yeah. Let's not play the I'm not wealthy game. Let's not play that game. We are all, you do know, we are the richest Christians in the history of Christendom. By far, when we get to heaven, people are going to go, you are the Christians from the 2000s? <gasps> what was that like? Because we have so much. Now, let me also say this. Materialism and greed cannot be diagnosed by what someone drives or what they own. It's a heart thing. You can be very wealthy and not struggle with this at all. And you can be incredibly poor and be completely riddled with the disease of greed. I, I can't go up to you and say, you got this issue. 
You, you know, there may be some hints when we looked at those, it, but it's a heart issue that, that you have got to figure out. And this is where Jesus dives in. And here's what he says in his story, verse 16. He told them this story or this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Apparently, he's a pretty good businessman. Because his business is doing so well, I, I need a, a new warehouse. I need a bigger warehouse. Verse 19, I'll say to myself, by the way, little hint, he thinks to himself and he says to himself, little hint about maybe why he got in trouble, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I think it's rather ironic that what Jesus, who Jesus calls a fool in our culture, we would define as successful. Find that rather ironic. Jesus said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Backside of your study guide, I'm going to give you five reasons why Jesus called this guy a fool. Make sure you don't do these things. Write these down. First one is that he was self-focused to a fault. This guy was self-focused to a fault. Did you see verses 16, 17, and 18, all the personal pronouns? I, me, mine. Did you see all those personal pronouns? Uh, the word my occurs four times and the word I occurs eight times in two and a half verses. It, this is the kind of person, it's all about me, my, mine. Everything revolves around me, right? Um, kind of a problem. Kind of a problem. Now make sure you see how I wrote this. He was self-focused to a fault. Being self-focused isn't automatically a fault. It isn't automatically sinful. In fact, some of the, the most important things some of you could do, especially if you've got you know a cu- cu- couple kids and you're running crazy and trying to help this all, all you know the family, some of the most important things some of you could do is to carve out a little me time, to, to, so you can become spiritually healthy and you can be physically healthy and you can be mentally healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's an important thing to do at times. The problem is when you take that to extreme, as when you take anything good to an extreme, it becomes sinful. And in this case, the me time becomes a life all about me. It's all about I. It's all about my. He was self-focused to a fault. That's foolish, says Jesus. The second thing is that his ultimate goal was flawed. His ultimate goal was flawed. Do you see it at the end of verse 19? I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, Here's his goal, to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. That's my goal. Now, let me just state to make sure we understand, uh, I have nothing against retirement. I love taking vacations, and, and I think it's great to hang out with friends or sit on the couch and watch sports for three hours straight. Nothing wrong with that. The only problem is that you will never find that statement by God as an ultimate goal for your life, ever. You know, part of the problem is I think we confuse our rights as Americans with our responsibility as Christians. Let me explain that. When you were in high school, junior high or senior high, you went to civics class and they taught us that we as Americans have a right. We deserve. It is our right to life, liberty and the pursuit of what? 
happiness. We deserve that. We deserve to be happy. We deserve to have the right to get that, right? Now, that's fine. I hope you get some of that. I like some of that too. This is a wonderful country to live in. The problem is your right as an American has nothing to do with your responsibility as a Christian. You know what your life goal and responsibility as stated by God in this book is? Has nothing to do with with happiness. Your primary goal, my primary goal should be to glorify God, to honor God, to obey God, to point people in his direction. That's my ultimate goal. That should be every one of our ultimate goal. Now, I got to tell you, if you've ever tried to live that way, you very quickly realize that if your goal is to glorify God, to honor him, to obey him as your primary goal, very quickly you will realize that at times it is not only difficult, stressful, but also painful. It's completely the opposite of what this guy was living for. So be very careful what you're striving for. If your ultimate goal is to get that house on the, go- on the golf course so you can retire, be careful with that. Now, is it nice to have that? I hope you get that. But that better not be your ultimate goal in life. The third reason he said he was foolish is because he confused ownership and stewardship. He confused ownership and stewardship. Uh, in, in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. The word demanded there in the Greek literally is a banking term. It carries with it the idea of, okay, we're, we're, we're calling in the loan. You, you, it was due in August. You haven't paid up. We're calling it in. Implication, what you have is really a loan. Your car is a loan. Your house is a loan. Your family are loaned to you. All the stuff you have are loaned to you. Your very life is loaned to you by God. You do not own it. God owns it. So when he calls it, you give it. This is something this guy didn't understand. He didn't get. Now, I understand how we talk. That's my car. You don't want to say, well, that's God's car and he's lending it to me. That sounds weird. Okay? But you have to have that attitude that what I have is not mine. It's his. And the minute you change that perspective, everything, there's a shift in your life. It's an automatic shift. This guy didn't get it. He understood it all. It's all my stuff. God's his little problem. It's kind of foolish. Fourth thing is he overvalued the importance of things and possessions. He overvalued the, the, the importance of things and possessions. You fool, verse 20, the very, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all the stuff you've prepared for yourself? Who's going to get the flat screen TV? Who's going to get the nice bedroom set? Who's going to get the nice car? Who's going to get the bikes and all the fun stuff you have in your garage? Who's going to get all that stuff? Who gets the the timeshare? Who gets it? What Jesus is trying to say is you are overvaluing material possessions. You you don't get to take it with you. You don't ever see a U-Haul following a hearst. You don't see that. Did you know that you can actually buy a suit for a, from a funeral home for your loved one? Did you know this? Do you know the only difference between a suit that you would buy from a funeral home to wear as they're in the casket than what you would get at Macy's or, or, or Men's Warehouse? you know the only difference? What you buy at the funeral home, the suit, doesn't have any pockets. Do you know why? Because you can't take it with you. That's the whole point of what he's trying to. To say, the pharaohs tried to do this, but 
we very quickly now, are, you know, everyone's realizing you, all the stuff that they buried with them in the pyramids is still there. You can't take it with you. Some of you know that I was born in Chicago. I lived in Spain for 20 years, but born in Chicago and went back to Chicago to do my master's seminary degree there. Loved the city. Absolutely loved Chicago. One of the things Chicago is, is most known for is the gangsters that have been part of Chicago life. A lot of famous gangsters have been part of, uh, uh, of Chicago life. And uh, if you ever go on a tour, one of these guided tours of Chicago, they can literally show you the sidewalk where, for example, John Dillinger was shot and killed. One of the most famous, most notorious gangsters of the 1930s. They can actually show you the exact place right in front of Biograph Theater where he was shot. It's very interesting to hear the, the guy, though. They'll be very melodramatic, you know. Um, you know, on FBI's most wanted list, one of the most notorious bank robbers in Indiana in the Midwest, right, was shot after coming out of the theater three times by members of the FBI, and he lied dead. He died right there on that sidewalk. Did you know that John Dillinger stole, he and his gang, gang $300,000 from banks, which in, in the 1930s Depression era is crazy money. He stole $300,000, but when he was shot by the FBI, all John Dillinger had left to his name was $3. When I first heard that story, I thought to myself, that's a good time to go. you're going to go. That's, you don't want, you know, I don't have much left. I've already told my kids, you know what, we're going to help you help you get through college. Um, if grandkids come, come our way, we're going to help with that. But after that, don't expect much after mom and I go because we're going to spend it. <laughs> Sorry, kid. <laughs> we're going to spend it. You know why? Because you can't take it with you. But so many of us live our lives as if we can. One of the saddest statistics I came across this week is still today the number one reason why young people choose careers. Number one reason oh, by far is how much am I going to make? Can those of us who are grown up, hopefully a little bit older, please tell them the truth? Can we please let them know that it's better to make a little less money but be able to spend the 8 to 10 hours you spend at work loving what you do? How many of us have gotten caught in careers? We make great money. We can't stand going to work. You can't take it with you. And Jesus just hammers and hammers and hammers away at this because apparently they didn't get it like maybe some of us still don't get it. The thing about greed that you have to realize is that it's infectious. If you don't learn to overcome it, your kids will get infected with the same disease. The thing about greed is that you need to realize that more than any other thing, it messes with your soul. Messes with your soul. The thing about greed is that it confuses standard of living with quality of life. So many people think if I get a high standard of living which means I make a lot of money, I live in a nice house, I drive nice cars, I have a high standard of living, I will automatically have quality of life. That's just not true. We know it's not true, just in practical life. If the people with the most money were automatically the most happy, then everyone in Hollywood would act a lot different than they do now. It's just not true. 
And he says to him, you're, you're a fool because you've overvalued the importance of things and possession. Last reason he calls him a fool is because he forgot to invest in God's work. Last verse. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Interesting phrase, isn't it? You're not rich towards God. You were rich when you spent money on that vacation. You were rich towards your family when you splurged at Christmas time. You were rich when it came time to choosing what car you were going to drive. You were rich when it came time to deciding what kind of clothes you would wear. You were rich when it came time to buying your house and the furniture that went in it. But you weren't really rich toward God. The Bible gives us all kinds of different reasons why we should give to God's work. All kinds of different reasons. The primary reason is because it gives you and I the opportunity to invest in the only thing that will outlast us. People. That's the number one reason we give. The second reason is because it actually brings you closer to God. You've heard me say this before. By far, the greatest step of faith I have ever taken in my life, the greatest step of bringing me closer to God was when I started tithing. I mean, it was a massive step. Brings you closer to God. The reason that Jesus gives in this verse is not one of the top two or three reasons why we give. But it is a reason. What Jesus is trying to point out that giving, when you give, it is one of the greatest antidotes to greed. When you learn to do that. Some of you may have heard this story. Um, It happened a couple months ago. It was a preseason game between the San Diego Chargers and and the Niners. Um, So about a couple months ago. And apparently it was fourth quarter. And one of the servers at the club level, you know, the people that sell the drinks and they sell the sandwiches and the ice cream cones and whatever, um, her, her name was Heather Allison. Apparently, you know, she was just getting ready to wrap up, okay, um, middle of fourth quarter, and she had all the money that she'd collected for the entire game. It was over $1,000 in singles and fives, you know, very small bills, okay? And somehow or another, she tripped, and that money went everywhere. I mean, everywhere. What made it worse is that she was close to a veranda and it went over the veranda and started just falling all over the place. Single mom, mother of four, stressed beyond belief. Because you know how this works. These servers, they essentially have to pay back the vendor for what they, the product they sold and they get to keep the tips. That's why it kind of is a big deal to give them a couple bucks tip when you buy the pretzel or whatever it is. That's how they make their money. And she was, you know, stressed beyond belief, crying, what am I going to do? And, and the story and why it became national news is, is what happened immediately after that. Not a lot of people at this preseason game. Uh, most of the people in that section were season ticket holders. You know, season ticket holders, they get to know each other. And, and immediately they all jumped up and they started to kind of yell at everybody. It's, it, it's the server's money. They, they went over the veranda, collect the money, it's the server's money. Took them about 15, 20 minutes. She collected Every single dollar that she spilled. When I heard that story, I had two thoughts. The first thing that I thought was, if that ever happened at a Raider game, I don't think it would have been the same outcome. And that's coming from a Raider fan, I'm just saying. But the second thing I thought was, you know what? Great story and an example of how there are a lot more important things in life than money. This morning, I hope, it was not a day for me to club you over the head. I don't want you to feel that way. Here's where I want to leave you with. Hold on to this. Whatever you do, make sure 
make sure that you love people more than you love money. You know that really fancy piece of furniture and that fancy car that you have when your kid scratches it up by accident? I'm not saying you can't get upset, but make sure you love people more than you love money and things. And the last thing, whatever you do, make sure you love God more than you love money. Let's close in prayer. First of all, Father, I just want to thank you um, for blessing us the way you have. Even in an economy that's not doing well, um, we have food to eat, we have a bed to sleep in, and we're incredibly grateful for living in a country that has been um, so blessed. And so we just want to thank you for that. And um, Father, I pray that you would um, speak to us this morning. I pray just in the last couple moments before we leave, your Holy Spirit would prick our conscience and speak to our heart because this topic is, it's such an easy topic to think about. It's someone else. But I just have this gut instinct that more likely than not, every single one of us should probably have at least one take home this morning. Father, teach us to to hold on to our possessions lightly. Father, teach us to to change our goals, to reshift, to focus on living for you and loving you more than our primary goal of getting this, getting that, or daydreaming about living a life of comfort down the road. Heavenly Father, I pray for those this morning that are struggling, and I pray that you would encourage them. In the midst of this, Father, I pray that none of us would be captured by this disease of greed and materialism. It's so easy, especially because we live in such a great, wealthy country. So help us in this area, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.